If you'll take your Bibles this morning to, again, the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 5 this morning. We were in that the last time. But I, I want to point out to you here that Luke 4 closes with Jesus declaring to the people who wanted to see him stay with them in Capernaum. Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And then it says he was preaching in the synagogues of the Jews. It says Judea, but I believe it should read, he was preaching in the synagogues of the Jews, because he's in Galilee, not Judea, obviously. That's verses 43 and 44 of that fourth chapter. So notice, the good news of the kingdom of God. This was the focus of his earthly ministry. And that was what the prophets announced. The Spirit of God is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. What? Of the kingdom of God. This good news was given to the poor. Uh, it, liberty was given to captives. Recovery of sight was given to the blind. And liberty to those who were oppressed. And the proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor. All this pertaining to the kingdom of God. That was chapter 4 verses 18 and 19. Which cites uh, their... Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. This announcement, particularly his emphasis that it would include Gentiles. And if you'll recall when he was there in Nazareth and he gave that proclamation in his own home community there in the synagogue at Nazareth, he stressed Gentiles and that, that upset them greatly. And they drove him out of town. And this message also would lead to his final rejection and death on the cross. However, rather than stopping this mission, his passion, his death, his uh, on the cross would be what would inaugurate a new covenant and the kingdom of God then would be advanced through his church. Matthew gives us chronological development. I want to emphasize this fact too. I don't think any of the Gospels are necessarily chronological. They, have, they each have a particular message and they choose events in the life of Christ to illustrate the points of their message. And this is very true in the book of Luke. So it's just not like reading a biography of Jesus' life. So Matthew here does give us a more of a chronological development of Jesus' earthly, uh, early ministry, his mission. After giving the Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, he traveled back to Capernaum. Matthew does not say anything about his third calling of the disciples there as he went back to Capernaum, which Luke did in the first verses of chapter 5. 
we'll, which we looked at earlier. But passing along the, uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee, we, we know that he called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to leave their fishing and to follow him. Mark 1, 16 to 20 gives us that. And, and also, as I pointed out here, Luke 4, 1 to 11. Matthew just simply states, when he came down from the mountain, where he gave the sermon, the manifesto of the kingdom, uh, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt down. That's chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 of Matthew. Matthew did not record this third call of the fishermen, but he did recall the, uh, record the second call, which, is, which was found there in chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. So then, after the cleansing, we continue the story here, after the cleansing of the leper, in, Ma in uh, Matthew 8, 2 to 4, and that, that's, we're going to look at that today from Luke, that event here from Luke, chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, that we read in the scripture reading earlier. The scripture says, or Matthew says, he entered Capernaum, verse 5 of chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8. Luke does not specify the place. But we can assume it was his home in Capernaum where Jesus also healed the paralytic, which is found in the next section there. Uh, that's actually the one we read, the verses 17 through 26. Now, if Matthew's chronology is correct, and I believe it is, before the healing of the, of the paralytic, in other words, between his cleansing of the leper, which we find in verses 12 through 16, and his healing of the paralytic, verses 17 through 26. Between these two accounts, Jesus left Capernaum again. He crossed over the sea, stilled a storm on the sea, arrived in the country of the Gadarenes, healed two demoniacs over there, then when they rejected him, he returned back to Capernaum, and that's when we have the account that's of his healing of the paralytic. See? We don't we have we, we don't have this uh, fully developed story here. So Luke getting back to Luke now, Luke here provides an outline of his content. I want you to notice that up there in verse 1 of chapter 5, we read, on one occasion. And then down in verse 12, we read, in one of the cities. And then in verse 17, on one of those days. So chapter 5 opens with on one occasion. And this text, which is verses 1 through 11, the focus is on Peter and his awakening as to who Jesus really was. When he fell at his feet, recognizing his own 
sinfulness and said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. This awakening humbled Peter. Then when we come to verse 12, we read in one of those cities. And in this passage, verses 12 to 16, the focus is on Jesus' healing of an unclean man, a leper, who is in the final stages of his leprosy. This healing was to put a message before the priests, the Sadducees in Jerusalem. And I'll show you how that will be. Then, when 17 opens, we read, one of those days introduces the healing of the paralytic. And this message focuses Jesus on the Pharisees and the scribes. What links all of these events together is the compassion of the Savior on those who humbly submit to his lordship. When he recognized who Jesus was, Peter experienced a sense of his own total unworthiness. This same humility is found in the leper and in the paralytic. However, the aim of each of these messages is clear. It was given to the Jewish ruling class and it was sent to tell them that Jesus was who he claimed to be Lord and Messiah, the one bringing in the kingdom of God. So let's turn our, then our attention here to, the, to Luke's second point. We looked at his first point there a couple of weeks ago. But now notice in one of those cities. Here again, Luke is not, does not identify the city he, where he encountered the leper. As noted above, Jesus was traveling from the mountain where he had given his famous manifesto of the kingdom, the traditional site which is located in the northeast corner there of the Sea of Galilee. But in this account, Luke uses a Hebristic idiom, which is clearly evident in the Septuagint version, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And it is a dramatic exclamation. Notice, and behold, a man full of leprosy came. Verse 12. This was shocking. This is a shocking thing. That a leper should present himself physically to anyone. I was reading one account where a man took care of some lepers. And he put on rubber gloves to do so. They gave him a basket of fruit in, in uh, thankfulness of his ministry to their needs. And after these men were gone, they burned the gloves and the basket of fruit and uh, everything. They cleaned up clearly everything that was around these fellows because that is a very serious disease. And here this man comes and presents himself to Jesus and falls at his feet. And only Luke, the beloved physician, would inform us of the fact that he, this man was in the advanced stages of the disease. 
a man full of leprosy. There, verse 12. And like Peter, this leper fell on his face before Jesus. And he had a simple request, literally begging him, Lord, notice, if you will, you can make me clean. It was less what he asked than the way in which he asked it. He, his approach was clearly an act of faith. His request, his humbling, his putting his request in terms of if you will. Like Peter, he called him Lord. And here's a picture of one in submission to God and his will. There was no doubting in his plea, but a hopeful expectancy, an expectancy re rewarded by a compassionate and merciful, I will be thou clean. Wow. This compassion was further evidenced by Jesus touching him. He reached out and touched the man, a leper. Lepers were to be avoided at all costs, as I pointed out. And they were regarded as both physically and spiritually defiled. They were unclean. The story then proves the glorious sovereignty of our God. How did this man come to faith? How did he know of Jesus and his power to heal? Luke does not address these questions, but it is obvious that God granted this poor man faith to come. No doubt he heard about Jesus from the many who crowded about him to hear him and to witness the miracles at his hand. Nevertheless, it is a fact that only grace divinely granted motivates any to seek Jesus. All miracles depend on the will of Jesus and Jesus alone. Instantly, the man was whole. His flesh eaten away, fingers and toes gone, open and raw sores scattered all over his body, a man full of leprosy, but was suddenly and completely restored to normalcy. The unclean was now clean. None of the modern so-called miracles have ever matched the, the glorious power of the Lord Jesus. But it's the second part here of this account that raises some questions. It was the severity that Jesus sternly charged him to tell no one and to go show himself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Verse 14. Compare that charge with what Jesus told the demoniac of Gadara. The man clothed in his right mind, sitting next to Jesus, wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus refused and said, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city 
how much Jesus had done for him. That's in Luke 8, verse 39. So why two opposite commands? It should be noted here that Matthew reported that a multitude witnessed the miracle of the leper's restoration. Thus, the order to tell no one would not prevent all these witnesses from spreading the news. Mark also reported that the leper himself went out and began to talk freely about his healing and to spread the news, Mark 1.45. So now was the man disobedient? It's difficult to imagine a man, this man's coming to Jesus in faith, humbly submitting himself to his will, and after being fully restored to go away and deliberately disobey his command? No. It is, it is more probable that Jesus' charge was not to keep him silent, but that he should first go and present himself to the priest at the temple there in Jerusalem and to make appropriate offerings according to the instruction given by Moses in Leviticus 14. We might read it like this. Tell no one before you have first presented yourself to the priest and be officially declared clean. Then, and only then, may you freely tell your story. See, it's a matter of priority. This brings us to ask, why would Jesus want the man to submit to this Mosaic command? Especially when he came to establish a new covenant. And the reason for this order is clearly stated. For a witness to them. In verse 14. The ESV here reads proof, for a proof to them. But the word for witness here is, is marturion, which, from which we get our English word martyr, witness. For a witness to whom? Here again, the answer is simply to the priest at the temple who would to whom he would present himself. It would be these very priests, these Sadducees, who would ultimately reject him and insist on his being crucified, put to death. But for that reason, Jesus wanted this man to show him, them a proof that he was indeed the Messiah. This man now clean was irrefutable evidence of that claim. It also demonstrated that Jesus himself was obedient to the law of Moses. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus clearly stated, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth Pass away not an iota and not a jot, dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same 
will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Well, Jesus was teaching them. He should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And although many sought to accuse him of trespassing the law, he committed no infraction and repeatedly informed them of such. He did not lie about it either, according to Isaiah 53 and verse 9. In him was no transgression, and uh, he didn't lie with his lips. This man was a living testimony to them who for eight, and it took eight days for this, from the time he appeared to the priest to the time he was officially declared clean. It took eight days to prove this, and this, and during that eight days, he's a witness to them. He was a silent witness to the grace and power of Christ and his reverence for the law of Moses while it was still in force. Jesus fulfilled the law in order to bring in a new covenant, but that does not occur until his death and resurrection. Thus, he said to the crowds and his disciples in Matthew 23, Verses 1 to 3, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. Imagine the witness against any priest who, after officially pronouncing the leper clean, rejects the one who made him clean. Jesus said of them, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20 So the consequence of the miracle was that even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear and to be healed of their infirmities. I think the latter part is more of why they came than the first. Great crowds, more excited to see miracles than to hear a message. His popularity, however, didn't faze him, as it would many modern preachers. Popularity is suspect to all but egotists. Ought to be suspect to all but egotists. And thus we read, but he who would withdraw, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray, verse 16. His frequent communion with God is in solitary places was more important to Jesus than his popularity with the crowds. That's a message. Luke's inclusion of this detail highlights the importance of Jesus' reliance on God the Father and determination to do His will that these followers were not true followers, true disciples, would be demonstrated by John later when shortly after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus deliberately offended them by commanding them to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Not literally, but spiritually. John commented, 
When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Listen to it. Uh, John 6.60 Jesus responded, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Verses 61-62 After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. To reveal the contrast, then Jesus turned to the twelve and said, Do you go away as well? And Peter, a true follower, responded, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter revealed the true saving faith which was confirmed by Jesus who replied, did, I, did not I choose you, the twelve? Verse 70. And I'm, may I ask you, do you believe in Jesus savingly? This brings us to the uh, second or the third account here. In his third account, on one of those days... Luke again is obscure about the place. On one of those days, having returned to Capernaum from being rejected at Gadara, we find him teaching Pharisees and scribes who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. That's interesting, verse 17. Here were all the leaders of the Jews. They were there to listen to Jesus. Or were they? They were wondering whether he was indeed the Messiah or was he just a blasphemer. And again, we have a divinely ordered, miraculous, in-your-face situation to prove that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Would they see it? And would, uh, or would their blinders prevent their seeing the obvious? The Pharisees were very strict about on the observance of the law, going to the extent of building unbiblical traditions and regulations as fences to protect the law. But their righteousness was a self-righteousness. They observed ceremonies, fastings, almsgiving, long prayer, public prayers, meticulous tithing, and many other such things to draw attention to themselves in public, not God. Jesus exposed them as flagrant hypocrites. And the lawyers were no better. These scribes, who were also Pharisees, were supposed to be experts in the law. They became authorities and prominent members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. But their hostility to Jesus was evident from the start, and particularly in this situation. They were listening, but with critical ears to anything contrary to the law for which they might condemn him. Now that sets, us, that sets up the scenario here. And then we read there in verse 17, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And now Luke uses another example of a person meek and humble who had faith God-given to seek physical and spiritual help from Jesus. 
And on this occasion, divinely ordered to demonstrate His healing power and, and uh, it was presented to us here in a very unusual manner. As He was teaching, a paralyzed man was carried on a stretcher to Jesus believing that He would heal him. They wanted Him to come in and lay Him before Jesus. But due to the crowds blocking access to the door, the men carried their friend up to the roof where after removing tiles, they let him down to Jesus. And we read here that Jesus saw their faith and responded to the man, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Verse 20. Why would Jesus say to this man who wanted to be healed from Paralysis, your sins are forgiven. And the very next verse answers that question. Jesus was provoking the Pharisees and the scribes because they reacted in their minds. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 21. The deity of the one they questioned read their thoughts. <laughs> when Jesus perceived their thoughts, verse 22. Who but God knows the thoughts of men? The psalmist declared, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. Psalm 94, verse 11. Again, the Lord declared in Isaiah, For I know their works and their thoughts. Isaiah 66, 18. And over and over again, we read, Jesus knew their thoughts. Our thoughts are not hidden from God. So Jesus asked them, point blank, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. There is a clear connection with the kingdom of God. The Son of Man is Messiah. Who was given that kingdom Jesus had authority over everything, including power to forgive sins. And this authority was given to him in his incarnation. And I think here he refers to the vision of Daniel. When Daniel saw one like a son of man presented to the Ancient of Days, and to him was given dominion, a kingdom, glory, and a kingdom. See? Chapter Daniel 7, verse 14. Dominion is kingdom authority over everything. So now Jesus turns his attention to the man on the, on the stretcher. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before him, them and picked up his, what had been, he, he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Verse 24. The response of the crowd, and perhaps some even among the Pharisees, was amazement. 
Amazement seized them. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have, ne we have seen extraordinary things today. Wow. However, the Pharisees' initial charge of blasphemy against Jesus is going to continue to build throughout Luke's Gospel. The two incidents to follow will illustrate that truth of this conflict, which we're going to take up next week, uh, Lord willing. However, in closing, note that when the Pharisees and the scribes complained about Jesus eating and drinking with sinners in Matthew's home, he replied, those who are well need no physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call the righteous, not the righteous. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's verses 32 and 33. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that's been ours here to consider these truths this morning. Wow, what two very powerful stories that give evidence that Jesus was everything he claimed to be, that he is truly the Lord Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And I do pray, Father, that your, your word would go out very clearly to our hearts this morning and that we would enthrone him as such in our hearts. Father, um, thank you for what you do in and through us to lift up Jesus and to magnify his name and with We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.